AirTag hacking, Y2K, wait, Y2K, and Instagram scams. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug. He is Paul. And Paul, we've got a great lineup today. And I love starting the show with a fun fact. And I don't know if you're a fan of the bard of Bill Shakespeare, but I spotted a quote on the Shakespeare Quote of the Day website. As you know, the bard has a way with words. And although I'm not entirely sure which play this line comes from, I thought it was interesting and informative in these trying times. The quote is as follows. An SSL error has occurred, and a secure connection to the server cannot be made. It's just beautiful. Wow. When that one's on at the Globe in London, I think I might go. Yeah, sounds like it. Because there's quite go. a lot of history in that, isn't there? Because, of course, if you were to modernize it, you'd say an, a TLS error has occurred. Yeah. But obviously, back in the uh, 16th and 17th centuries, it was still SSL back then. Uh, let us talk about something new, then something old, then something kind of in the middle. So we start with this AirTag story, this Apple AirTags. Now, my impression of how these work is you buy this $29 device, which has got a Bluetooth low energy signal inside it. And then wherever it is, it leverages iPhones around it to relay the signal of this AirTag back to a central server somewhere, wherein only the AirTag that you own will be shown to you its location, yet it'll use anyone else's iPhone that's nearby. Apple calls it Find My. So it's, you know, you put the AirTag in your rucksack, find my rucksack. And although it sounds like a surveillance nightmare, you've got all these devices, A, identifying themselves, B, relying on other people knowing where they are so they can call home and dob them into Apple, and C, Apple knowing where every individual tag is every moment. It is actually much more secure than that because... Apple knows where AirTags are, but not which ones they are, because they use a randomly generated code that changes every 15 minutes. And since you, the owner of the AirTag, are the only person who knows the magic code that gives you the object to look up in Apple's database, it means that you can check whether your AirTag turned up anywhere and was called in by anybody, but neither Apple nor the person who called home with your AirTags identifier can put two and two together. So it's actually quite a clever system. Okay, and then there's the anti-stocking feature, which is someone puts their AirTag into my backpack. Yes, that's the naughty part side of it, isn't it? That they're the only person who can track that AirTag for privacy and anonymity reasons. But if they deliberately put that air tag into your bag, then actually they're tracking you. And my my iPhone will say, hey, your phone keeps relaying someone else's air tag location. You might want to check it out, right? Is that how it works? Pretty much, Doug. That's right. Uh, th- the easiest way to, to think of it is to use Apple's own words. And this is called tracker detect. And the idea is if any air tag, AirPod, or other find my network accessory separated from its owner is seen moving with you over time, you'll be notified. So Apple can't tell you who's tracking you because there could be an innocent explanation, but it's a good indication that you might want to go looking through your bag to try and find 
this electronic item that you did not put there. And there's another built-in protection, is there not? Yes, and that is that the AirTag knows that it hasn't called its own registered phone mothership lately. And if it hasn't been near your phone for a while, it will start emitting a high-pitched, annoying beeping noise. And the idea is that, A, that lets you discover air tags that you're wondering, where on earth has that jolly thing gone? Like those 1990s whistle-me key rings. Um, <laughs> and B, it's, it's quite a good idea. That it is. If, you're at, if you've lost your air tag where it actually can't see your phone, but it's still in your flat, it'll make a noise. You'll go, oh, God, it's down the back of the stove, and you'll dig it out with a stick. But it also means that if someone plants an air tag on you, so it's supposed to basically give itself away. Okay, and a good thing that there are two of those features for a little redundancy, because uh, as you say in the article, people are selling black market air tags with the speaker disconnected. Yes, so it's a regular air tag, but when it decides that it needs to warn everybody that it's not where it should be, you won't be able to hear it. Mm -hmm. So we know that the noise doesn't necessarily solve the problem because noise can be silenced by snipping a little wire. The other question is, what about this tracker detect feature that warns you when there are rogue or unexpected air tags that keep popping up more frequently than you might reasonably expect? And so we get to the meat of our story. Indeed, Doug. This is Fabian Braunlein. So he figured, well, I wonder how sensitive Apple's tracker detect is to what you might call noise in the system. And so he built a fake AirTag that just pretended to be 2,000 different AirTags at the same time. He was doing his broadcasts only every 30 seconds, and he had 2,000 different device code sequences to cycle through. And he found, with a obviously a, a volunteer who'd agreed to do this, that over a five-day period, he was able to generate consistent location messages that, of course, he could receive because he knew how to look them up in, in Apple's privacy-preserving network, but without triggering the tracker detect warning because, obviously, none of his pseudo air tags were ever visible often enough to trip Apple's warning that, hey, someone seems to be following you around. I don't think he's expecting Apple to come up with a magic solution. There might not be one, but it is just an important reminder that sometimes when you build privacy-preserving cryptography and anonymity into a network, then it does also lend itself to types of abuse that are quite hard to track in exactly the same way as we find with technologies like Tor. So it's a, just an interesting observation on that tussle between privacy and law enforcement, if you like. All right. We will keep an eye on that. That is Apple AirTag Anti-Stocking Protection Bypassed by Researchers on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. And Paul, we are on episode 72 of the podcast since I joined you in this venture, and I never thought we would be talking about Y2K this much. It seems like we were just talking about Y2K. Why are we talking about Y2K again? Well, you know, it's only been 22 years, Doug, so lessons sometimes take a lot longer to learn. The headline in that article on naked security is a little bit of a joke. It isn't actually Y2K 
or date related, but it is number precision related. And it turns out that, pretty much by coincidence, both Firefox and the Chromium series of browsers will go from version 99 to version 100 in the next few weeks or months. Well, that means that a version number which gets sent out in user agent strings, which get parsed, recognized, and used for who knows what purposes by web servers all over the world, it means that a two-digit number is suddenly going to become a three-digit number. And surely, Doug, surely no web servers are going to trip up over the fact that yes. 99 is followed by 100. I mean, how hard can that be? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. But it turns out that an admittedly small, but nevertheless worryingly non-zero number of web servers do have a problem with this, like the one that we... I don't mean to pick on them. I just did this because they're already on the official list that Mozilla programmers are building into a list of known exceptions just in case. This was Daimler.com. I went there with the developer version of Edge which is already on version 100 because it's two versions ahead of the regular one. And Doug Daimler.com told me, your browser's a classic. <laughs> and had a, a cute picture of an old classic 1980s Merck Benz. It didn't have a little picture of a Lynx browser running, which would have impressed me. <laughs> and yet when I visited with the regular version of Edge, which is still at version 98, it went, hello visitor, like nothing was wrong. And it did make me stop to think, seriously? Choking because a number is carried over from 99 to 100 in the year 2022, given what we learnt in the year 1999. But surprises never cease, Doug. So the idea is that one theory is that it's taking the version number, and since it can only handle two digits, it's truncating either the first digit or the last digit. So it's either seeing 00 or 10, and it thinks that you're running a browser from, you know, decades ago. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think, is it about 10 or 12 years, I think, since Firefox went to version 10? I forget. Yeah, but quite a long time. So this is one of those mystifying bugs. It shouldn't have happened. All right, so we have some advice for both web users and web programmers. And uh, my favorite, of course, is the advice you give to web programmers, which is like, well, we'll get to that, but. If you're a user... You don't really have to do anything. That's the good part. And there isn't much you can do. But if, when your browser gets to version 100, there are some sites you absolutely need to visit and suddenly you can't and it's telling you your, your browser's too ancient, this is something you might want to investigate. And there are some workarounds that both Mozilla and the Chromium crews are looking at. So just be aware of that is all I'm saying. Okay. And if you're a web programmer, you say, why, why are you having, <laughs> find a new job <laughs> or something, you know? I, oh, no, I didn't say that, Doug. I know, I know. I, I, I thought it, but I didn't say it. Enough. <laughs> yeah. I, what, what can you say? I just said, if you're a web programmer, then this shouldn't be a problem. If you sit down and you look in the mirror and you think, you know what, some of my code, maybe I have made too many hard-coded assumptions in there. Then you need to rethink your programming practices. Because imagine if this does happen to your web server. What kind of an impression does it give of your attention to detail? I think the average user who's thinking a little bit about cybersecurity is going to go, you know what, if they can't tell the difference between 99 and 100, 
how good are they going to be when they come to processing 16-digit credit card numbers? Or my username, or my password, or my yeah. social security or, number. Exactly. So it's not a very good look if you've got this problem. Then <laughs> <laughs> I can think of better ways of advertising how strongly your company thinks of cybersecurity as a value. All right. That is, uh, did we learn nothing from Y2K? Why are some coders still stuck on two-digit numbers on nakedsecurity.sophos.com? It is time for our This Week in Tech History segment. And this week, on March 2nd, 1969, the Concorde supersonic airliner made its first flight before eventually spinning up commercial service in 1976. The plane was able to cross the Atlantic in about half the time as a normal flight, all for the meager sum of around $13,000 in today's money for a round-trip ticket. The Concorde operated until 2003, but was eventually retired due to low demand and perceived danger after an unfortunate crash in July of 2000. And Paul, you have some great Concorde stories, although you have not ridden on it. No, I was tempted. One of the Air France aircraft, unfortunately, as you say, crashed due to, I think, debris left on the runway. And so they were taken out of service and then eventually they were allowed to resume, but I think the sort of zest had gone out of it because, <clears throat> to be honest, they're not very green, how can I put it, for reasons we'll discuss in a moment. Yeah. And so there was a chance, a, a very brief chance of a few months when you could actually get surprisingly inexpensive one-way rides. Basically, they'd blast you to New York from London and you arrive before you take off. You take <laughs> off at... 10.30, I think, and you arrive at 9.30 in the morning. Then they just fly back on a regular plane. And you're doing it so that you can sit, Doug, in a commercial passenger jetliner that not only has jet engines with reheat, or as you Americans perhaps more, more poetically put it, afterburner. Can you imagine a commercial <laughs> airliner? Yeah. Oh, we need 20% more power. Whoa! And that could exceed Mach 2. It was at 55,000 feet, and it, you'd be going faster than 2,000 kilometers an hour. Amazing. As far as I know, Concorde had half the thrust of an A380, but its maximum landing weight, obviously after it had burned off all the fuel, was somewhere around about one quarter of an Airbus A380. So <laughs> yeah. when it came to power-to-weight ratio, but I, so I did see it come in to land twice. And Doug, it's just so different to any other plane you've seen that isn't a jet fighter or something. Modern planes are normally really long and really wide. This is really long and super thin. It looks like something you might take into the pub in small scale and throw at a dartboard. <laughs> just incredible. But I suppose we shan't see that kind of thing again. And given how much fuel it needed to burn to transport 100 people across the Atlantic Ocean, maybe that is actually not such a bad thing. Yes. Well, Concord, we hardly knew ye. And something we know very well, Instagram scams. And there are three new oh, ones. Dear. Not one, not two, but three that have been clogging our inboxes here, Paul. Yes, I know we've talked about them before and we write about them fairly regularly on Naked Security. These were various messages 
three different types of scam. Now, I don't know whether it's the same crooks, but the modus operandi is the same in terms of there's an email, you go to a dodgy page, and they're looking for your details. But the point is the crooks are trying lots of different ways of doing it. One was a supposed community guidelines violation. And of course, there's a proposed solution. Very, very convenient. Just contact us. We'll let you know the content that violates the guidelines. You can remove it and your account will be fine. The second one was the well-known copyright infringement. And the proposed solution is if this is wrong, you can just click the button, fill in the form, show to us that it's not copyright and the strike against you will be removed. And the last one, which was quite a nasty one, in my opinion, was suspicious login alert. You get those from lots of sites these days, don't you? Was this you logging in from, in this case, it claimed to be Vienna in Austria, although interestingly, they made rather a mistake there. They (laughs) called the city Vienna. They called the country Österreich. So the name of the city was in English. The name of the country was in German, but misspelled. And the map they had behind it was, in fact, Riyadh. Yeah. So, yeah, that, they didn't quite get it right. But no. again, by choosing Vienna slash Riyadh, presumably they know they're mailing it to people in the UK. They know that you know that it's not you. So they're giving you a reason to click the button. And of course, they're all scams that want your username and your password. And in one of the cases, they were also said, now put in your two-factor authentication code as well. Instead of getting your username and password for later and then selling them on or coming back tomorrow, basically today's generation of crooks, increasingly they're going, give us your username, give us your password, give us the 2FA code. And even though they've only got a minute or a couple of minutes to use it, they've got someone standing by to do just that or they've got a computer standing by to do just that. And they're actually doing the the intervention and the account takeover in near real time. Yeah, that's scary because then they just they own the account then. Yes. Basically. Uh, Now, some of these, you should spot them, like Vienna, Österreich, like the mix of languages. There are some grammatical mistakes. One of them, interestingly, had uh, a domain name that was, it looked like Instagram, but actually the first I was actually a lowercase L, which in most browsers comes out looking like an uppercase I. So it actually looked like the word Instagram. There should be enough in each of these for you to spot that this doesn't look right. Yeah, I would give these a, a B for bad. These are not as, as good as I like to see out of a well-crafted scam, but I can see, especially the, the copyright infringement one, I could see people just being just hammering that button and being like, I did not do this. I am outraged. I'm, I'm offended. Yes, that one, uh, I, I agree. And that's the one where the URL is, starts with, it's actually Linstagram, but it looks like Instagram. And it just, please enter your username. And then the crooks actually go to your account and they fetch your publicly visible login icon and they add that into the next page just for a little bit of very similitude that they're making it look believable. And then, of course, they they ask if you password twice. And I think that's because these days, at least some people have got in the habit of, well, put in the wrong password first time. And if they accept it, then you know it's a scam. (laughs) And then they give you a nice cheery message. We will contact you back in 48 hours. And then there's a help button that gives you, it's not grammatically perfect, but they give you a perfectly reasonable help page, don't they? And there's nothing outright obviously bad about this. Yeah, that one's not bad. deep threat. They're just, look, you can help yourself if you want to. 
And then at the end, they go, fine, yeah, we'll sort this out for you. What can people do to avoid such scams in the future? First, we have don't click helpful, air quotes, links in email or other messages. Indeed. If you've practiced beforehand, where do I go to check who's logged into my account recently? Where do I go to counter a copyright notice or to look it up? If you know the link yourself, then you never need to click on links in emails, even if they're emails that Instagram send you. And if you never click on the links in the emails, then you can never be caught out. And then we've uh, used this one before, but it is pertinent as ever. Think before you click. Yes, it's easy to say and it's obvious to say. But the reason that this article is mostly pictures and not many words is it's a great way to practice looking for the less likely telltales. And then my personal favorite, if you're doing it right, you should have no idea what your password is for any site uh, you have an account on. Use a password manager if you can. Yes, because in this case, if you've set up your password manager carefully, where you know you have carefully typed in instagram.com, that is how your password manager will remember the workflow needed for Instagram logins. It will invent the password, and it means that if ever you go to a website that looks like Instagram, even if it is a pixel-perfect copy of the Instagram login page, even if it has a URL that is different in only one character, your password manager will go, nope, don't know that one. And then finally, we have a great video that you can watch starring our friend Paul. Yes, this is, admittedly, this video is from about a year ago, but it's here are the things you can watch out for and actually showing you this is how it unfolds which was the same idea, as I said, in this article. We took a series of screenshots of what would happen if you went right through from go to woe in three different scams. If not for you, at least you can show your friends and family. All right. That is Instagram scammers as busy as ever. Passwords and 2FA codes at risk on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And as the sun slowly begins to set on our show for this week, we shall turn to one of our readers in our Oh No segment. On the Y2K story we discussed earlier, Naked Security Reader Forecaster comments, Until retirement in 2001, I worked for the Meteorological Office, a client of Sophos, which I have always used at home ever since. Thank you, Forecaster. The Met Office took great care with Y2K, so communications continued to work seamlessly, except for planned failures of some ancient and obsolete automatic weather stations on North Sea platforms. However, at 0 o'clock on the 29th of February, 2000, all the UK military airfield weather reports stopped being transmitted. Some idiot, long before, had been told that there is no leap day at the turn of a century and programmed the system accordingly. People can cater for the known unknowns, but it's the unknown unknowns that catch us out. Yes, indeed. And the irony is, if that person had never heard of the fact that there are exceptions to the is the year divisible by four rule for leap years, they probably wouldn't have had this bug. So if they'd been double slack, they would have got away with it. Because, of course, any year that's divisible by four in our modern calendar is a leap year, except when it's a century. Except that you don't make the correction every fourth century. So if they'd actually done nothing and gone, oh, well, every year divisible by four is a leap year, and you can imagine somebody says, no, 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 you've got it wrong, you've got it wrong, you've got it wrong, there's an exception. 
And so in trying to fix the bug, they actually <laughs> introduced another one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Whereas, worst. <laughs> and so that's another reminder that sometimes half fixing a problem can actually be worse than doing nothing about it at all. So a job worth doing, Douglas, is worth doing well. Excellent advice. And I agree with you. And if you have an oh no you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles or hit us up on social at Naked Security. That is our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to stay, stay secure. secure.